Hello and welcome to episode 63 of Booze, Booms and Busts, the podcast where we quaff a couple of beers while discussing market events. Sam, what are you drinking today? Uh, right. Well, straight off the bat, uh, the first one which I'm literally pouring out as we speak is called the Cruz Blanca, a craft Mexican cerveza. Uh, and again, my pronunciation, as usual, is <laughs> horrifically bad. 5.8% uh, um, from Cruz Blanca Brewing in right. uh, Chicago, Illinois. So nothing like a Mexican cerveza coming from Chicago, Illinois. How's that spelled? Uh, Cerveza, Cruz Blanca Cerveza. All right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Whatever, you know, it's, is it Spanish, Portuguese for beer? Right, right. One of those, one of those. One of those. Anyway, it's a tropical hazy IPA. Um, So I should, I feel like I should like this. This is really up my alley. I like a, I like a, Fruity IPA. The fruity IPA. Oh, actually, it's got it. See, I'm here you go. I'm looking on the wrong side of the fucking can. Here's how good I'm going. I'm operating on about four hours of sleep tonight. Turn the can, oh. Sam. It's called the Palm Shade. <laughs> Tropical hazy IPA. Uh, mm. from the Cruz Blanca Brewery. Anyway, how you going this week? <laughs> yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. It's uh, good to get the end of the week. Been very, very busy indeed. And uh, today I've just cracked open. Summer Lightning by Hop Track Brewery. No, Hop Back Brewery, sorry. And it's Summer Lightning trademarked and it says award winning. Now, on oh, the back, it says, award. Yeah, this is the brewery conditioned version of Summer Lightning, probably Britain's <laughs> most awarded cask golden ale, which mm, uh, that raises a lot of, lot of eyebrows, mate. Is Why that sound? Is it didn't Carl isn't Carlsberg is isn't that isn't that their thing probably the best beer in the world? But it's a, it's it's Britain's most awarded cask golden ale, which uh, must you know iron down the com- competition by a lot. Um, and interestingly, this is named after the hilarious novel by P.G. Woodhouse, which is very interesting. I've not actually heard of Summer Lightning by P.G. Woodhouse, but I do love Jeeves and Worcester, uh, so maybe I should give that a look. Uh, but yeah, that's what I'm on at the moment. Five percent ABV, as many uh, golden ales are. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's try this one out, Sam. In terms of uh, yeah, obviously, been a been a pretty crazy week. Yeah, uh, you know, Bitcoin new to a new all time high, huh? All time highs by the all time high. We don't have to say by the dip anymore. We can just say by the all time highs. Um, <laughs> well, I, do you know what? I love it. I love it when Bitcoin hits all time highs because you just get you inevitably get crypto Twitter going into a fucking tears. But people like people basically some people start tweeting and they're like. A hundred percent of all Bitcoiners are in a profit position now. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah, that's exactly how an all-time high works. You fucking spaz. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess that people just like the way it sounds when you say any person who has bought Bitcoin in you know the, the 11, 12 years that it has existed and who held until now is now in profit. I guess it's because it's because of the the fud, right, and the skepticism. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's about you know not selling. It's about sort of idolizing that holder, the hodler yeah. mentality. Uh, so I mean, let, can I ask you something just on, in relation to this? Because this yeah, kind yeah. of this does wind me up a little bit. The 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 Euro Europia Europia Europe. I don't even know. I this is, I'm oh, seriously euphoria? I'm going the euphoria. <laughs> Europia Europia. I haven't even had a drink today, folks. Until now. <laughs> um. Yeah. <laughs> discovering new continents here at booze yeah. booms and busts 
You you wait, I, I t- well, wait till my second one's an 8.5%. Wait till the end of that. Oh, I'm wow. going to be on some other planet. Anyway, my the point moment. was, um, so this, this gives me, eyes me a little bit. Um, so it's always about price in US dollars, but like, who gives a fuck about the price in US dollars? A lot of people, it turns out. It turns out, every, it turns out everyone does, even like the OG maxis. But look, the point is, um, is that there is a, there's a there's a good reason why it's hitting all time highs, and that is that is partly due to the incredible devaluation of fiat money as well. Like, there's there's no way we'd even be here if central banks were responsible. I mean, and then that, that is a byproduct of why Bitcoin even exists. But I don't know. I just get, sometimes I think like the obsession with converting it into fiat money, it's kind of like, so what? Unless, yeah, yeah. I, 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 get that, I get that it's a mechanism for some people to, to eventually probably sell, pay their taxes, and then, you know, break free the shackles of things like debt and, and all of that. But if you, if you don't ever plan to sell your Bitcoin, but maybe use it one day, um, I mean, I don't know. It's It's... No, I get you. I get you. Yeah, Six I mean, the hard part, you know, there's, there's that meme you've seen, you know, thousands of times over the year, where it's just, meme. you know, that scene from The Matrix where yeah. it's Morpheus <laughs> speaking to Neo. And... I knew the meme before you even said what meme you were talking about. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And what is it? Neo's saying, uh, what are you, what are you going to, what, like, what are you telling me, Morpheus? Are you going to tell me I'm going to be able to sell, sell my Bitcoin and uh, retire or sell my Bitcoin at a million dollars? And Morpheus says, no, Neo. I'm telling you that when the time comes and when you're ready, you won't have to. And, you know, that gets thrown around all the time. I think uh, to what to your point, Sam, I would say I don't think the I think the narrative of inflation is certainly is certainly one of the big parts of it. So a lot of people are talking about uh, Bitcoin as an inflation hedge. A lot of people uh, are uh, believe that believe that it is, though the jury is still out on that, I believe. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, everyone is talking about Bitcoin as an inflation hedge. If we didn't have inflation, you know, we didn't have the Bank of England saying the other day, you know, we think, uh, yeah, we're pretty sure inflation is going to hit 5%, which is maybe an implicit recognition that inflation is probably already above 5% or, or possibly above 5% by, by some estimates when you look at uh, things like property price inflation. Mm. Um, you know, when people are really thinking about that, the scarcity argument for Bitcoin is obviously going to come into its own. Uh, though I, you know, as I've said on previous podcasts, what Bitcoin does in, uh, if we do get, you know, sustained continuous inflation for a while, I wonder what that'll do. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah, you've got to thank the central banks. You've got to, you've got to thank the poison for the cure, I guess. Um, yeah. And look, I guess I mean, you, you, there's, there's so many different factors that, that drive it. I mean, that's one of them, I think. And then there's still time, the FOMO yeah. and there's hype. And then there is this, oh, look, the scarcity issue. I don't know if it gets, I mean, it gets a sufficient airtime, but I don't know if it gets enough airtime, really. I mean, there's, there's so many institutions, organizations, people that have yet to even consider it as a, a, a measure of balance in a portfolio, you know, to help, you know, with, with managing correlations with different assets and things like that. Like, oh. there, I think it was like the U.S. Firefighters Pension Fund or something was like it's like the first pension fund to buy Bitcoin now as part mm. of their portfolio management. Like, I think, I think we've we barely even scratched the surface on this whole demand supply issue. Um, certainly, that, certainly, that could be the next big big driver. It could, though it depends when that happens. Because remember, we were having all these same conversations at the end of 2017. 
mm. with you know uh, pension funds buying etc there's mm. plenty of demand you can start you can easily see where plenty of demand can come from it's whether that happens soon or not markets are forward pricing so they're always expecting future demand today uh, and sometimes that demand doesn't arrive for a while yeah. it is interesting to see a u.s pension fund actually buy uh, bitcoin i believe the ny dig uh, you know, organization has managed to do that. Mm. Um, and, you know, a fund manager actually texted me the other day saying, uh, do you think this makes Bitcoin immune? It was as a question. Do you think this makes Bitcoin immune from U.S. regulatory risk when you have U.S. pension funds that are investing in this? Certainly I think it's quite interesting. Um, mm. Yeah, I think it's I think it is. It certainly helps in that regard, that's for sure. The Bitcoin ETF thing, I wonder if it's actually a good thing or not. Uh, mm. Yeah, I mean, what's your, what's your take on that, Sam? Because ultimately, they're not owning spot Bitcoin. Yeah. They're not owning real Bitcoin. They're just owning yeah. Bitcoin futures. Uh, yeah, what's your take? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, there's, there's an element of excitement about it because, so it, I think it also helps manage the regulatory risk side of things, right, as well, because, it, it, it's got to a point now, particularly in the US, like we still get questions from readers about people like, oh, but the US is imminently going to ban cryptocurrency. An executive, I've seen so many recently about like some executive order from Biden that's going to ban cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. It's like, no, no, that's that's just not going to happen because of, you know, the incredible volumes that we're seeing with the ETFs at the moment, like you said, the pension funds, they're, they're, they're a bit too deep into it now. Companies like Coinbase, Gemini, um, you know, these are all US companies, uh, you know, some publicly listed that just, they, it, it helps kind of erode that whole point about, oh, they're going to ban it. It's like, that's just not happening. As, as troublesome as regulators and, and lawmakers and policymakers are, um, they're not completely stupid in the US. They can see there is a potential for innovation in this space. And there is there is wider applications to not just the financial services industry, but, but a lot of other areas. So I think I think I think the ETFs certainly help sort of quash that. But you're right, like it's Wall Street just trying to take its chunk. It do what it does best, you know, trade futures. You know, derivatives of of spot Bitcoin is bleh, bleh. I, I wouldn't. It's not something I'm interested in. The spot ETF is going to be interesting though. That that I think is going to be very very significant. A spot ETF, um, mainly because there's so much money globally in structures, traditional financial system structures that can't buy direct Bitcoin, but is well, desperate to i mean i would say uh, you know i think there is a caveat it's mo- it's not globally it's us ones because there are already spot etfs that are in you know canada and that yeah that but so there's the, the issue is is that access to markets like canada uh, or fucking stockholm or whatever is 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 difficult yes for a lot of so like to access one from the us like that kind of gets green lit a lot easier through you know big fund managers and investment houses and things like yeah. that right yeah america is the the gatekeeper here uh, for yeah. the i do wonder though what what's kind of going on with this etf and with the futures thing because it's been seen as a compromise that by making sure it's a futures based etf that it doesn't uh, you know it doesn't uh you know, this is easier for the SEC to approve, et cetera, et cetera. 
Uh, a while back, we did have a discussion, and this was a really, this was probably last year, Sam, when we were discussing PayPal's incorporation of, when they first announced it, PayPal, yeah, uh, saying US. that you're going to be able to buy own, own, own crypto. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's something I was actually speaking to John Butler with in the live stream we did earlier this week. But a while back, um, well, I say a while back. So if we go back to uh, the gold standard and yeah. uh, all the pressures that were facing that in the, in the, in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, the U.S. State Department got really worried that uh, if the U.S. went off gold, that uh, that there would be a massive demand for gold and the dollar would lose status because people would see a dollar dollar gold price rising a huge amount. And uh, this would make the dollar look very, very bad because back then yeah. gold actually meant a lot, an awful lot to an awful lot, lot of people. Like people uh, saw money as gold back during mm. when the gold standard was around. So there was a, uh, it was people were much more conscious of uh, fiat debasement uh, via gold price increases. So uh, the State Department actually sent some guys to uh, the, probably what was a precursor to the LBMA, I don't think the LBMA existed at that point, but to the London gold market and saying, uh, yo, if, uh, you know, can we, uh, is there any way that we might be able to, any way we might be able to sort of avoid there being a massive run for gold and things? And uh, they, you know, the, the gold dealer said, uh, with a big paper futures market, all of this demand for gold will be offset. So you'll be able to sort of divert all of this demand for gold through the paper futures market, because uh, ultimately you can get exposure to the gold price, but you won't actually have much of an impact on, uh, on the actual supply and demand of gold, provided there are people selling you those futures in equal amount. So this would offset all of the demand for gold. And this was revealed in one of the massive WikiLeaks dumps of, uh, of you know, when Assange was still, you know, yeah. a, a free man. Free. <laughs> you know, the, so that in- A long time the, ago. Yeah, very long. So this mid-2000s this came out. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it, the, the cables themselves are all written in capital letters. And, yeah. you know, it's very, it's very kind of cryptic the way they're written. And you don't know, you want to know exactly what the conversations were because they, they're not, they don't, it's not spelled out in quite the same way that I've, I've just described it. Yeah. Uh, but, it, you know, it's talking about State Department officials going to London bullion market uh, because they're concerned about uh, gold demand uh, in the yeah, and gold's relationship with the US dollar. So uh, they were, however, their concerns were allayed by these London uh, gold dealers who said, once we have, if we have a paper futures market, uh, there won't be so much of an issue with uh, there being a massive surge in uh, supply shock with gold. Uh, and all this demand will be able to be accommodated by uh, the paper futures market. So we fast forward to today and or actually fast forward to 2017. Uh, mm. So the head, uh, I think it was the chair of the CFTC, uh, the Commodity Futures and Trading Commission over in the US, uh, during the Trump administration. So this is during 2017. After he had left, uh, he like went on stage and was like saying, yo, guys, uh, I, yeah, I'm, I burst the Bitcoin bubble. We did it. It was us. When I was chair of the CFTC, we, uh, there were plenty of conversations that we were having with uh, you know, the senior financial elite within the Trump administration, and we were, we were concerned about Bitcoin going up a lot. And we all decided, including Gary Cohn, who was then a senior economic advisor to Trump, that uh, if we introduced Bitcoin paper futures that are just paper <laughs> settled, that they don't actually affect Bitcoin itself, well, will burst the Bitcoin bubble. And of course, you know, we at, you know, if you actually look at the Bitcoin price, uh, when I remember, I remember actually the day it happened when Bitcoin futures first came out, the very first day these things were launched, it was not a very good day for Bitcoin at all. And, uh, and that it, while it was late in 2017, so it wasn't 
it was 2018 when things really went awry but yeah. late 2017 when that happened uh that effectively marked the beginning of the end of that bull market and uh you know giancarlo this this chap then goes takes credit for it uh i think it was over a year later and then works for works for a crypto company now i think all oh, right yeah quite possibly i, I wouldn't be surprised I'm pretty but sure. it was just the you know they had the dissent that a decision was made uh they came to a consensus within uh the u.s government uh, we can actually burst this bitcoin bubble by allowing the creation of futures so we we need to even if we don't like the idea of bitcoin futures being traded we need to make sure that they're created and that's gonna that's gonna uh, that's gonna hurt bitcoin now the way he phrased this the way he uh, made his argument was that we were worried about a bubble becoming you know a systemic risk or something you know yeah. it was, it was what, the, the way he phrased it was this is so volatile if too many people get sucked in then they're all going to get wrecked in the end of it and so I, i'm actually a defender of the public good here <laughs> but the mechanism is still the same the use of futures in order to diffuse demand for bitcoin uh, if not actually harm the price, you know, to actually actively bring down the price that they were were doing with that uh, with that bubble uh, mm. sort of strategy. We need to we need to pop the bubble some way or other. So here we have, and we've got the the you know the SEC approving an ETF that is only full of paper settled futures. They're not uh, you know they're not spot settled. And uh, I wonder whether or not just the same conversations are happening all over again. It's like, oh well, once we bring in this ETF, maybe this is what's gonna this is what's gonna help burst the, the Bitcoin bubble. Because back then, of course, there were no ETFs. Certainly none in like uh, well, no. there are very few ETFs, sorry, around the world for Bitcoin, and there were very very few futures. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I don't even know if there were any Bitcoin futures prior to the US doing it, though I'm sure there were on some some trading sites and whatever. I think it may have been in Europe somewhere. Right. But, you know, I wonder if the mechanism is still the same. This, uh, the reason that yeah. this is effectively a massive Trojan horse. So everyone uh, is exalting this just as they were with the with the, cre the creation of Bitcoin futures and the announcements of Bitcoin futures. You know, all of the press was writing about how this was, you know, this was giving great visibility for Bitcoin. This was helping the Bitcoin space. But in actuality, it was be this the Bitcoin futures were a Trojan horse that had been specifically directed by the CFTC to try and uh, try and wreck Bitcoin. And I wonder if this is the same thing. So this this ETF, which is just full of futures, is again mm. another attempt at doing this. Maybe it'll be successful or maybe not. But I don't think, uh, yeah, I don't think, I'm, well, I'm concerned that it's not being created with, um, with bullish intent, should I say. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, if for the, um, for pro shares that are launching it, fucking happy days. I mean, was so it like them, you know? a billion in two days worth of uh, flow? But that's a billion that wasn't going into spot Bitcoin. Yeah, but uh, it's it's going into pro shares. Um, <laughs> yeah, and they're so happy. They, they, they don't care, I'm sure. Um, and the, there was another one that launched today as well. The Valkyrie uh, Bitcoin ETF uh, launched today. They even had a they even had a beautiful little um, countdown clock on their website. I'm just trying to... With a name like Valkyrie, you know they've got good marketing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They love it. I mean, look, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe this, maybe this really puts the, um, you know, pour some water on the on the fire, Bitcoin fire for, for a couple of months. Um, but you know, you only sort of need to see what happened over the last couple of years. Yeah, there was a period of you know, elongated, Bitcoin's dead, um, and it and it's come back. So you know, even if that is the case. I still don't see it having an issue uh, with the long-term direction of it all. I mean, that's my take on it, at least. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, our colleague uh, Charlie Morris recently wrote a very good uh, piece on Bytree, which is literally, you know, the 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 headline is why you should not buy a Bitcoin futures ETF. Yeah, and uh, and why you should expect this ETF to lag by roughly eight point four percent each year before the fees. And when you consider how easy it is to buy Bitcoin uh, these days, uh, even for large players, uh, yeah. large institutional players. Uh, why do you want to do this? Because one of the things that... Uh, well, is... This is my point as well, right? And I'll continue, but I'll, I'll jump on no, it. No, no, please. Well, so like, um, I think people are probably... Because there is so much... Because there's because the data is so transparent with Bitcoin and you, you can really see where the money flows and you can understand, you know, the, the stuff that ByteTree do, Charlie and ByteTree do is really good because they've got real quality data. Um and and he he's right. I think people are smart enough now to know that the as as much and all as they've had record flow into into these funds, uh, I don't I, I I don't see it. I I think when there's a spot uh, ETF, I think that's going to take. I think you're going to see massive outflows from the futures into the oh spot big time ETF. big time. No, my my thinking is they're not going to allow one, and they're just going to say no no. You want Bitcoin? You just you dump your money into the ETF, where effectively the fund flows are being sterilized. I right would yet. I would be really surprised if if uh, Grayscale wasn't able to convert theirs to an ETF. Ah, uh, well, man, Janet Yellen is Treasury Secretary. Secretary, all right, and she is really not a friend of crypto at all. So I think I think barriers will be erected that aren't already, and uh, they'll they'll do what they can to uh, to get rid of it. I was going to say though, one reason why this sort of, this Trojan horse is made of flimsy wood, if yeah. uh, this metaphor works, is balsa wood. Uh, yeah, it may, well, <laughs> yeah, well, balsa wood's worth a lot of money these days. Um, <laughs> well, the I think one thing that makes it different from just the futures is that because of ETF structures, ETFs which have uh, where ETFs which hold futures in general, there is not a, there is not a perpetual futures contract for Bitcoin on within you know like the cme there is an orcebo right there is not a perpetual contract uh like there is on, but don't on don't um doesn't ftx have a perpetual bitcoin futures yeah, yeah yeah no but within within the actual financial market okay. so if you're if you're a you're a tradfi futures trader you're old school right open outcry <laughs> guy who is now sitting in front of his computer sitting in front of his bloomy terminal uh right you can't access one you, you know you can't access one if you're trading for a bank or something like that, or maybe, actually, maybe you can, but just in terms of financial futures inside the mainstream financial system, there's not a perpetual contract. And as a result, um, there is what is, uh, there's, you, you get a huge amount of decay uh, from, so this ETF, sorry, I'm, 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 I need to start at the beginning. The ETF, for those listening, is effectively just a box. Any ETF or an ETN is just yeah. a box full of a load of assets. And they issue receipts, which give the holders uh, property of a certain amount of whatever's in the box. And uh, in this case, it's just a lot of futures. The thing is, futures mature every month. Mm. And so when the future matures, it needs to be rolled over. And what this does is create a lot of cost where one future needs to be sold and another needs to be bought. Uh, and this actually costs a lot of money, which is why Charlie is saying it's going to cost, on average, 8.4% yeah. a year before fees. Yeah. So anyone buying... Uh, so imagine if you're pitching something to uh, an investment committee and you're saying, yo, we should own this thing. And they say, well, uh, if, if the Bitcoin price does nothing, let alone, go, it, let alone goes down, we're going to be losing 
what eight percent a year plus maybe what one two percent in uh, into so effectively let's just let's just round it up and say we're going to lose ten percent a year hmm. regardless of whatever bitcoin does and we all know it's already volatile as hell so i think they may the may they may have issues selling this trojan horse to the uh the mainstream investment committee public as it were yeah it'll be interesting to see the returns on it over the next 12 months uh after fees and costs and all everything that you've mentioned because i don't i i there's no way um, i i think i don't know if it was charlie or somebody else was was you know there's been a fair bit of it now um, that the futures contracts have continuously underperformed the spot price by quite some way. Uh, well, it's just the nature of futures, nature yeah. of futures. So um, I think the faster the spot, a spot ETF comes to market, the, I mean, we'll, we'll see, we'll see, I guess. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think there the are US- other ways you could, you could just, you know, buy it's stock in all the, in all the miners, micro strategy marathon. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which similarly, have seen a, a lot of uptake uh, these days. Um, yeah, it's a it's an interesting time to be uh, to be in Bitcoin. That's sure. That's sure. Uh, one thing that we should discuss uh, is the uh, the certain event which took place in Binance earlier this week, Sam. Oh, the flash was crash. It, was it actually possible? Did somebody actually fill their bags full of Bitcoin? I am dollars um, per coin. I, I read that it was a bug with an algo trader. Well, uh, yeah, but they would say that. I mean, if it wasn't a bug with an algo, algo trader, they would still say it was a bug with an algo. <laughs> what the fuck does a bug with the algo, algo trader even mean? Right. Yeah. I mean, so th- th- this, this is what I don't, I don't you start quite using understand. That to describe anything that goes wrong, by the way. You know, if, uh, you know, if you stub your toe when you're walking through the living room or something, you know, yeah. just say it was a bug with the algo trader, man. Yeah, man. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I actually, I actually just uh, shunted the car, the, the car in front of me at the the traffic light. Uh, sorry, it was a bug with the algo trader. I I didn't yeah. mean it. Like, so let's say, for instance, I had a, I had a buy uh, order in in Binance's uh, trading spot market for for a bit one Bitcoin at ten thousand dollars. Here's what I don't get, and I don't think I I don't think this would have happened. If I had that, if I'd had that order in and it had just been sat there, and I was just like, let's just hope one day there's some sort of abnormal market instance where there's a flash crash. Yep. Would would that have would that have been fulfilled? Would or, that have been executed? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it would have. Yeah, I don't either. Mm. Uh, I think it helps. It. Yeah, I don't think. Do you know it would what I mean? Because I mean, well, how many bids are there? That's right. Right. How yeah. many other people are doing that? Yeah, exactly. So this is what I don't quite understand, and maybe we'll never understand about about how a market operator like Binance really works. Is that I am sure, I'm sure there are number of, of of people in crypto that have been in it for a while that have got those kinds of orders on markets, and I just wonder if they've ever actually been filled during these flash crashes, or if it's really just a chart. Uh, it, it, it's a bit like a bit like the traditional financial system. It's just numbers. The actual reality of it is not nothing like what you've actually seen on the charts. Yeah, the model does not correlate with reality. It makes sense in a in, a, in an Excel spreadsheet somewhere, yeah. but when you actually try to execute, uh, you know, you get punched in the face. You know, some people are saying, "Well, oh, this is just a very wealthy person who uh, who you know decided he was going to sell." I don't know. 
uh, you know, 100 Bitcoin or something like that at, uh, at a very low price in order to wipe out everyone's stop losses on Binance. Uh, and as a result, Hoover up a load of Bitcoin on the cheap. So he takes the takes the loss up front on the big sell order, and then you know whale Hoover is yeah. it up on the which is, on the other which side. Is not how those markets work anyway, because yeah. even if you, you even if, if if I put in if I put in sell Bitcoin at eight thousand dollars, right, one Bitcoin at eight thousand dollars, it 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 doesn't get filled at eight thousand dollars. It just gets filled at all the bid orders all the way down to eight thousand. Exactly. So I actually probably end up getting it out for like sixty two grand or something like that, not eight. And it yeah, just yeah. gets hoovered up in an instant to get down to eight grand with all the orders that would have been in all the bid orders that would have been in, uh, you would have had to have sold like a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, and it's hard to quantify it as well. Only like Binance will know, but it's hard to quantify it because uh, ultimately the price is changing all the way down. It's you that's pushing it all the way down and each Bitcoin is being sold for a completely different price. Yeah. Uh, well, it's not even each Bitcoin, it's every Satoshi is being sold for a different price as you affect. I mean, it must like actually doing that must feel cathartic as hell. Can you imagine <laughs> having an enormous bag? Imagine you're Satoshi Nakamoto, right? And you just go, yes, market sell 5,000 Bitcoin, right? And you just tear <laughs> the order book in half. Like, you know, for that must just feel the power, you know, oh, so cathartic. It, it, then at the same time, you'd see it rip straight back up. You would, you would, but for a short period, but you would wreck a lot of people in the medium term. Anyone who was levered. Oh, the liquidation, the liquidations, the people that would have had shorts on that would get liquidated in an instant. That would be gratifying. Yeah. It's like, so it's like, it's like, I, 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 I get the feeling that there may be a pump coming for Bitcoin from the Wall Street bets community. Maybe Bitcoin's too big to pump now, to be honest. But Maybe. Um, I was reading that, Someone had been looking at Hindenburg because Hindenburg have, have come out and put a million dollar bounty on information to prove that Tether is a fraud. We're right. back here at the Tether is a fraud thing again. Um, Hindenburg's put out a million dollar bounty for information. Um, but oh, apparently man, they've man. got short positions in just about every listed Bitcoin stock that's on the market as well. So that makes it interesting. It does. It does. Uh, though I do wonder why anyone who actually has the dirt would give it up for a mere million dollars. <laughs> a mere million. Me, this reminds me very much of uh, the FBI recently raising <laughs> raising their bounty on, uh, well, it wasn't recently. It would have been a few months ago now. Uh, the FBI raising their bounty on anyone who can, who can actually uh, effectively make Monero useless. So actually, so anyone who can make Monero uh, yeah, well, anyone who can de-anonymize Monero will give you, I think it's either $3 million or $5 million. And uh, you, like anyone who actually could figure that out for themselves, anybody smart enough to do this, no way in hell are they going to give that up to the government for a few million dollars. Yeah. So much more money could be made with that information. Uh, just If you just published it openly on the internet and then took a like 50x leverage short you would make so much more money than just giving it to the government. Or you just go um, straight to the Monero developers and go, look, you've got an issue. Yeah, I can fix it. In. Cut me in. <laughs> exactly, big time. Yeah, so I mean, somebody who knows what's going on at Tether, okay, yeah, a million dollars. Yeah, I'll take a million dollars. I mean, nah, man. I Someone who knows that would need uh, would need some something. I think it would be more like uh, somebody who's involved with Tether wants uh, immunity from the government. 
they they're the ones who who might spill the beans. Um, yeah, like a, a whistleblower, some sort of whistleblower protection thing or something. But yeah, yeah, I can't I can't see it happening. I think to be and to be fair, it, you, you almost wonder how how many times do people need to bark up the tether is a fraud thing for them to just go like, really, are we still there? I mean, like, okay, and here's my thing with it, right? If tether is a fraud, and I've said this before, who the fuck cares? There's so many other stable coins out there, not just on Ethereum, but on all the other blockchains, um, USDC, DAI, DAI or whatever, fuck. There's uh, pro, uh, algorithmic stable coins. There's apparently backed stable coins. There's basket of currency stable coins. There's so many stable coins out there now that even if Tether disappeared, it would the slack would just get absorbed so quickly in other stable coins like usdc would just be, go fucking bonkers there'd be so much inflow and they'd have to mint so many more usdc's but it would be absorbed not an issue tether is not an issue it's not a systemic issue to crypto anymore probably never really was so i don't really see what the fuck they're wasting their time i think i think i, I think the while I agree in terms of the with the you know effectively the thrust of what you're saying, I think it's certainly true. I do think that Tether's days as the dominant stablecoin are definitely numbered. Mm. I think USDC is going to get uh, is going to become a lot bigger. Yeah. However, when it comes to the sort of the systematic, well, systemic uh, issues with Tether, when you're looking at the ultimately Tether is still dominant when it comes to the trading of BTC. You know, it is the the has the has the best liquidity, the best volume. Uh, so I think an issue with Tether, and it's hard to imagine how exactly this would start to take place, uh, but an issue with Tether would have a huge effect. I do think it would it would, it would lead to... Oh, yeah, it a, would, short term, though. But we don't even know what it would do, because mm. you know some people say, well, people would then bid up Bitcoin uh, with their Tether because they'd want to get it off their hands. Would Tether try and respond by uh, redeeming a load of Tethers that exist or trying to redeem some Tethers in order to save face and say, no, 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 we've got plenty of money. We will give you money for your Tethers if you want it. Uh, it's very hard to imagine how the scenario breaks out. But yeah. just in terms of the size of Tether, yes, all of, the, all of its rivals have a very bright future. But for the moment, I think if something did big really happen, so, you know, imagine... Uh, you know, a few of the head guys at Tether actually get arrested in some sting operation or something like that. I think so. we could see a really big uh, but, event occur, especially on then, finance. Like you say, how do, what's the what's the how's the practicality of that actually unwind? Like, well, well, what, not like wanting Tether ultimately and want, wanting to buy other things with it. And it could be USDC. I mean, there are pools out there that you can access, which is USDT for USDC. Yeah, uh, or just or Binance USD, B, BUSD. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I just, I just think it'd just mean people would just offload it for, like, maybe you'd offload it for cents on the USDT kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 so then it has an impact on USDT, but I still just, I just can't see how 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 it becomes a systemic issue, like so many are claiming that it could be. But again, you know, they're also the ones that are still talking about. Bitcoin could go to zero as, and these sorts of things as well. So they're fucking idiots. Well, I think, uh, well, to, yeah, it, it, I guess it depends on how you, how you think of systemic. But when you imagine that uh, in terms of pair, fiat pairs, USDT is used for so many different cryptos on so many different exchanges. So all the unregulated ones, uh, well, not all of them, but yeah, especially when it comes to centralized exchanges that are unregulated and don't take fiat deposits, they're probably going to be using uh, yeah, USDT. 
uh, they might not even use USDC because you need to get some kind of approval before they'll they'll allow you to start messing around with big USDC transfers. But um, when you look at anything that like any coin, so if you're looking at the altcoin space that has a USDT pair, especially the ones that don't have much liquidity, if the only fiat pair that exists for that uh, alt is in USDT and something goes wrong with USDT, then yeah. I think that market, USDT for whatever that, that crypto is, is mm. going to get face a huge issue one way or another because there might not be a huge amount of liquidity for USDT anyway. And if something goes wrong with it, then you may see a lot of the altcoin space get wrecked. But then again, the altcoin space gets wrecked very often whenever Bitcoin goes down by 10%. So, exactly. Um, you, do, you do wonder. Yeah, I mean, the, we should probably at some point try to war game this thing with uh, effectively what happens. So if you're the tether, you're the tether all reserve and something goes wrong, what do you do? And if you are one of the big exchanges, what do you do? You know, you can have different players and try to figure out what might happen. But this in, is the thing that, as well. Outcome. How does it go wrong? Like, this what like a company like Enron, you know, can cook the books, and then everyone realizes that actually they've got all, all these fucking debt and issues, and that the company's bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Okay, the only thing that could possibly crash Tether would be the fact that, well, we everyone knows that, that it's not hundred percent backed by anything. Uh, I mean, there is, there is, there is, there are assets there, but. It's pretty pretty well known that it's not a hundred percent backed by U.S. dollars. I think it would be the idea that the assets backing it are actually not that valid. So everyone knows. Similarly, everyone knows. Uh, everyone knows that everyone knows that Tether is fully backed. You know, it's old. It's, it's kind of you know, it's old school news. I mean, they when did they admit that? That was like like the twenty. Was it twenty eighteen? They even admitted that, or was it twenty nineteen? I can't remember. Um, but imagine if the assets that do back it. Okay, they aren't dollars, but they aren't actually worth a huge amount either. So the backing is much lower than previously predicted. Yeah, I think that could that could cause a lot of problems. But here's the thing: but like, it's not like you go to the USDT website and redeem your USDT for dollars. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, illegally it's, speaking, I'm sure they'd have plenty to say. Court saying, "Well, hey guys, we never said we were going to redeem yeah. any of these things." Yeah, but but this is more like, what's the what if 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 it's all if everything they have is worth nothing, or if it's worth pennies um then it's really just kind of so what there's so a whole bunch of algorithmic stable coins that have got zero backing mm-hmm. Gives a yeah, fuck. Yeah. yeah but the thing is it's the assumption of the holder that is the that is the issue here so all the people own die uh, dai or or however it's pronounced. i think it's die not day i think it's die uh, yeah i think it's die on on ethereum uh, where it is effectively a game theory simulation for everyone's yeah. effectively betting that one die equals one dollar, and anyone who wants to mess around with that uh, can try betting against it, and that in 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 itself backs the value of die and whatever. Everyone who owns die knows that it's not backed by a dollar. Mm-hmm. The thing with tether was that they originally claimed that, and then this assumption crept in that one way or another they would be able to satisfy creditors, and uh, the assumption remains that uh, you know people really do view it as a digital dollar or a you know or. They've grown so used to Tether being around for so long that they treat it as a dollar. It's the breaking of that assumption that uh, would cause market chaos, even uh, if, as you say, uh, they can say, well, hey, we never said we were redeeming any of these things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, my, my, yeah. 
I'm, I'm not, you know, these tethered truthers. And, and do you know what's funny? Is it Paolo uh, Adrino? Well, I never can his surname right. The guy that CTO or whatever that heads up Tether. It's just like, it's just like on this meme fest about tethered truthers and, and everyone like Hindenburg and stuff. It's quite funny. You know? It's quite a good account to follow, actually. Anyway, I think it's all just a big, big blow up. Again, it's kind of it's like we can't grasp onto Tulip mania and South Sea bubble on Bitcoin anymore. So we're going to try and grasp onto something else that proves that all of this is just one big scam because we're so butthurt that we didn't get onto any of the crypto early enough to actually benefit or make any money from it. We're so late to the party that we have to vindicate our lateness somehow with some sort of some claim that some of it's a scam. Like we know there's scams, there's scams and there's shit coins and you know there's plenty of that in the traditional financial system as well. And a whole bunch of shit that goes on that you never know about. But I don't know. I just it seems like it's you know barking up a tree just to bark up a tree where there's no cats in the tree. But you know it's just like well fuck it there's a tree let's have a go. Another uh, of the benefits of uh, a new all time high for Bitcoin is is the butthurt response from oh. the no coiner community. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, you know, look, and there's nothing wrong with not owning Bitcoin, but yeah, it's if you yeah, don't yeah, own yeah. Bitcoin and you are really irritated at anyone yeah. that does, yeah. Uh, that is uh yeah that's yeah. the thing. if you if you don't own any of it and you're like out there claiming that it's a scam and that everyone's going to get wrecked and it's going to go to zero i mean you kind of you're asking for it <laughs> <laughs> and duly deserve it when you get it as well um which actually i, I do want to ask you something um so I, I've seen a couple of things around from, I know a few people that are obviously in the gold industry, work in the gold industry for gold mining companies and uh, various, uh, you know, uh, precious metal funds and things like that. And it's, and, and they're all saying that there's just like no interest in gold, gold investing at the moment. It's, it's like, it's all just shifted into, into Bitcoin. How, how much, how, how much, do people should I mean what, what happens here? What happens with with precious metal funds, with gold, gold ETFs, um, and and the, you know there's obviously gold miners in the gold industry. It's there's there's more to it than just spot price of gold. But I mean, I, how does this play out? Is you talked earlier about um, you know the gold standard and how how people you know used to hold gold in a very different regard today. I mean, is uh, and, I, and I still think, you know, gold does play a very smart position in a, in a port, in portfolio management, but at the same time, it's just like, what do you do if, if there's just nothing there, there's, there's no demand for it anymore. And in, in the investment sense, I think there is demand. Uh, I think people just have quite short attention spans and lower, uh, lower, um, lower timeframes that uh, the horizons are, are different these days. Mm. Yes, certainly. I mean, the performance of gold uh, on the back of uh, the incredibly strong inflation data we've seen yeah. would make it uh, is, uh, you know, is, uh, you know, would raise an eyebrow. Mm. But at the same time, there's a very common saying in gold, which is gold never does what you want it to when <laughs> you want it to, yeah. uh, which I think is, is very much the case here. So right now, I think actually gold is in a very good place of people who are who are interested in buying assets that have kind of been forgotten about. Yeah. I think the narrative that Bitcoin has stole gold, stolen gold's thunder uh, is very much just a narrative. So if you actually look at the flows going into Bitcoin exchange traded products, yeah. uh, which, you know, our colleague Charlie Morris charts very, very uh, well on, uh, on Bytree, that website he runs, uh, it really, like the, the, the flows 
are not like institutional flows are not suddenly running into into bitcoin and they're not running into gold either so it there's yeah. not about the certainly on the margin the every man on the street is much is interested in bitcoin and he's not interested in gold but when it comes to big money moving around i don't think bitcoin is just stolen the gold thunder i just think that right now people aren't thinking about gold and they will you know people only realize this stuff sort of too late when they're trying thinking about uh, protecting their, their savings over, over the long period of yeah. the long long term uh, but uh, you know right now it's not here yet which does actually create an opportunity for uh, those of us who you know actually see Bitcoin and gold as quite different things and yeah. not really in competition with each other mm-hmm. uh, a lot of a lot of the Bitcoin guys are like no 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 Bitcoin is the scarcest asset in the world etc but you know therefore it's going to disrupt gold uh, you know something I was telling John Butler our uh, you know our, our colleague who of course, is a massive gold, uh, gold investor, gold expert. You yeah. know, I was seeing one of these Bitcoin maximalists saying that you know Bitcoin is going to unlock is you know Bitcoin is going to unlock gold's potential as an industrial metal because the gold price is going to go so low that we're going to start being able to use it big time. That's so, ridiculous. Which is which is ridiculous, right? And it, and it speaks volumes of the kind of hubris that you do find amongst among, yeah. at, at an all time high, right? This is another it's a side effect of an all time high. You get the, you get the hubris as well. But in terms of where gold is at the moment, I think and silver, it's even more extreme. Uh, yeah. I think uh, if we look at gold at the moment, I think there were ultimately we're just waiting for there's going to be some catalyst. So we're already seeing higher inflation figures everywhere. Mm-hmm. The reaction of the central banks is going to be very big here. So uh, how high interest rates are hiked, or if they're not hiked whatsoever is a very is going to be a very big deal. And uh, again, supply chain issues, gold is very sensitive to that. Obviously, new supply to gold is not that huge relative to the overall stock of gold. But uh, I do think that uh, very, very bright times indeed are ahead for for uh, for gold investors. Yeah, I tend to think that it feels like it's um, it's one of those. It, it, weirdly, it feels like gold's the kind of contrarian uh, yeah, idea at the moment. Not crowded at all. I'll tell you that. Yeah. You, you won't find uh, you won't find uh, the the markets heaving with people. Uh, trying to get it unless of course you're one of the one of the guys who's going for you know physical coins and bars and stuff where supply is is still kind of tight but i think the um it is very much contrarian thing i think the uh, the narrative that bitcoin is 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 the new thing i don't think mm. it's going to last uh, but yeah. what and that creates an opportunity for people who do like gold <laughs> it's like that that meme where the dude's walking with his girlfriend and like there's a hot girl walks past and he's like turning to check her out it's kind of like gold yeah, the gold girlfriend is with yeah. Retail investor is the guy, and Bitcoin's the you know the one walking past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, in fact, I may have even seen an iteration of that. Uh, yeah, which of course on the FinTwit community, everybody loves this. But yeah. I think you know, uh, you know, gold's not going anywhere. Uh, it was yeah. something, you know, I was, uh, something I was saying to saying to John the other day, where uh, you know, uh, uh, we were doing a live stream, and there were there were people in the chat saying, uh, you know, what 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 is the use of gold in a digital economy? Uh, which I think is a completely fair question. Fair question, ask. yeah. If we, if we are getting to, you know, Facebook's becoming the metaverse, you know, mm. they're all about the the whole, uh, you know, NFTs and everything, or they're trying to per- be perceived that way. Uh, you know, what is gold's role of it? And uh, you know, I, you know, just gold ultimately isn't anywhere. There's no, similar to what you were saying, Sam, earlier, where there are so many people who don't understand what Bitcoin is, right? Yeah. People do understand what gold is. And when they see their money getting evaporated away, uh, they are still going to turn to gold. So I think the uh, the role of gold remains unchanged. It's just that, you know, 
the fashion uh, the fashion is, is just not there at the moment, which has been the way it's been in gold for a long time. You know, the majority of the last 10 years uh, would have been anti-gold. There have been occasional moments when it really comes back to the fore. Uh, but, you know, uh, it's not there yet. And I'm very confident we will get there in the 2020s. Yeah, it's, um, I'm, 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 I, th I think it's, <laughs> I just want to say it's a space to watch. It's like gold is one of those spaces that you should always be watching, really, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I, kind of, I quite like it as, you know, a weirdly, like I say, weirdly contrarian idea. Um, anyway, I'm on to my second beer now. So we should probably do the right thing and rate the ones that we've had. What do you reckon? You first, Sam. I'll go grab my second. All right. So the Palm Shade Tropical Hazy IPA from Cruz Blanca, Craft Mexican Beer from Cruz Blanca Brewing, brewed in Chicago, Illinois, 5.8%. Uh, very nice indeed. That was, um, say, 5.8 is kind of in that sweet spot where I think that, that one day we will find the ultimate triple B rated beer. Uh, but that was easy to drink, like almost scarily easy to drink. And um, I would even I would even throw that up there in the session beer uh, that you could have, you know, a six pack of those be off your tits and feel pretty good about it. Um, I do like them a little tropical. So I do like a tropical hazy, hazy IPA. So a little biased in that sense. Um, but I liked it so much that I think I'm actually going to give it a double B rating. Oh, wow. Very, yeah. very good. It was, it was very good. Palm shade. Uh, sadly, I cannot be, uh, I cannot follow your lead there, Sam. Summer Lightning has a cool label. Uh, it looks very old school. Um, and, you know, as it says, is inspired by PG Woodhouse's. Uh, literature however it doesn't taste like a gold nail it tastes like a lager to me i mean there's hints of gold nail in there yeah. but it, it tastes like lager so uh, sadly i will be giving this one and you know it's not that bad uh, but i'll give this an a minus uh, benefit of the doubt is to the downside here and uh, yeah i'm now on to my second one uh, which is sea fury special mm -hmm. ale there are lots of S's here. Sea Fury Special Ale, and then it says Substantial and Satisfying, Ooh. which is another 5% beer. This is from Sharps Brewery, which is Confident. quite big <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Very cocksure here. <laughs> and uh, yes, yeah, Sea Fury Special Ale, SFSA, takes its inspiration from the stormy Atlantic seas that crash into the rugged Cornish coast during the long, dark winter. Very long sentence here. This substantial and satisfying beer was first brewed in 96 to satisfy demand from local fishermen by a stronger ale to enjoy after long and often perilous stints at sea. Wow, a two-sentence paragraph, a very, uh, very big one. Uh, yeah, let's try this one out. Sam, what are you drinking? What's your second? Yeah, right. So uh, this one's quite interesting. This has got one of the coolest labels, which I'll, I'll come to last because then that leads me into something I want to talk to you about uh, as we... Uh, on the second sort of back end of the podcast today. But this is called the Malafemena Double IPA in collaboration with the White Hag Irish Bruco and Johnny's Off-License Beer Shop in Rome. Now, wow. I, want to, I want to read what it says on the label here. It says, and I believe this is probably being written by the White Hag Irish Brewing Co. Uh, Since we've first sent beer to Italy, we've had a champion in Roma, at the heart of the Italian beer scene in our friend and Irishman abroad, John Nolan. John runs the infamous Johnny's off-license group of beer shops and always stocks our beer as fresh and cold as it should be. We've collaborated with John to design the ultimate summer beer. 
for sipping on his pavement, a whopping 8.5% double IPA packed with citrus and intensely hoppy tropical flavor. A summer, a summer beer this is, uh, and I'll find out in a minute, but the label is something else. So I'm showing, showing Boaz on the screen here, uh, which obviously this is a podcast, so people can't see that, but it's like a, is it a Ganesh, the Indian, like six arm Indian God? That's, that's right, isn't it? Isn't it Ganesh? Well, Ganesh is uh, is Ganesh the elephant dude. He's got yes. Those so Ganesh arms. is the elephant thing, right? But this is kind of like Ganesh. It's got six arms, but it looks like it's a uh, a gorilla um, with like a gold tooth and a beard and and everything else. It's like this hybrid Ganesh, but not an elephant, but it's a gorilla. Uh, really cool label on this uh, Malafemina double IPA. But it, do you know what it, so this is, and this is what will probably lead us into our next discussion is it looks like um, one of those degenerative ape Academy NFTs that are big on the Solana blockchain. And um, we sort of mentioned this off, off air earlier today that we should start, maybe we should talk about a couple of things in, uh, in, in this sort of space around NFTs, but in, in the gaming sense. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to really talk about Degenerative Ape Academy, but it does look a little bit like a Degenerative Ape Academy kind of style gorilla. Um, I, so I've this week I've been I've been testing out. I've been trying to get my head around a uh, play to earn game on the Hive blockchain called uh, Splinterlands, and it's a card based game. And look, you know way more about card based games than me. Uh, I'm kind of a bit of a I'm a bit of a traditionalist in terms of my experience was really magic, the gathering. And I think we've talked about that a couple of times on the podcast before and, and even around NFTs as well. I think not that long ago, yeah. um, but I, in, in trying out Splinterlands, which is card-based, I, I bought some cards, I bought some packs and, you know, got, got myself some, some cards and started battling to increase my ratings and rankings and, and try and figure out just how to fuck this thing works. And I just got wrecked game after game after game after game after game. I would battle. I don't even know if they're bots or real people. I want to assume they're real people because I hope that's kind of how it works. I just got smashed. I mean, I am, I, I'm going through now. So I was like, let, let me just read out my win loss. Um, loss, 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 win, loss win win loss 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 win loss win win i'm getting better six wins i mean it's trending upwards it's trending upwards yeah i'm on a two i'm on a consecutive two win streak so my my question to you is how the fuck do these games these card games work i know they're all different but i mean I got to admit, I got a little addicted to it. Oh well, mainly just because yeah. I wanted to win. Yeah, well, it's funny how these how digital card games are uh, are so popular. Uh, you would imagine that you know everyone thinks of video games as being you know you sit in front of a computer and then the graphics are really good and it makes it look like you know yeah. the real real world. It looks like a simulation of the real world, and there are plenty of games like that. But there's actually a huge market for digital card games. Which are uh, which are you know games that are similar to you know Pokemon or Digimon or Yu-Gi-Oh or something like that, but they're just played online. It makes it much easier 
uh, to get new cards and new decks and uh, to swap them, trade them. And there's, you know, internal sort of economies within these games. Um, and it's interesting to see uh, like what you've been, what you've been exploring, Sam, which I don't know too much about, which is where they're trying to sort of decentralize this. Yeah. Where you, where you actually own the tokens, uh, you know, you own the cards digitally and it's not being done through a centralized system. So there are plenty of uh, games. Hearthstone is probably, I would wager, would be the most popular digital card game out there. Um, I had a friend who, you know, spent Lord knows how many days playing that thing. Uh, you play it on iPad or on your phone or whatever. And uh, it has a huge, you know, skill ranking system. Magic the Gathering has a digital uh, online uh, online system where you can play other people, get the cards, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, huge market for this thing. But the decentralized idea where you own the cards yourself, you have the deck in your own wallet, be it Ethereum or in your own, in this case, of Hive. Um it's a, it's a new thing, and we did discuss it a little bit with uh, that. What's the, what's the name of that uh, game? We you know the they're opening a faucet today. What's the name of it again? It's um, oh the parallel. Yeah, parallel. In a previous episode, we were talking about parallel because the 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 cost of those cards. They haven't even released what the rules of the game are yet, and the the value of these cards, which are beautiful artwork has just gone absolutely through the roof. It's a very interesting idea, but it remains very much in its initial phase. I've not tried it, Sam, you have. Uh, but yeah, card games are uh, they're quite something. I recently, uh, you know, coincidentally, I recently discovered that Gwent, which is the a card game that was actually created inside a video game, uh, just to make things even more complicated. There's a video game called The Witcher that was released uh, a long time ago and had, has three iterations, Witcher 1, 2, and 3. And inside that game, you can actually, when you're wandering around uh, being a witcher in, the, uh, in this fantasy world where you kill monsters and cast magic and whatever, uh, you can meet people and you can play a card game with them. And that card game is called Gwent, uh, not named after the Welsh town. Uh, but just given that name for uh, for a different reason, I don't know why, but it is a very addictive game. So actually a friend of mine who was really big into The Witcher, same guy who was really into Hearthstone, funnily enough, uh, you know, as soon as he, he played the game inside The Witcher 3, so he was wandering around, he then just quit the main quest and did nothing but explore the world to find all of the cards and to play all the people huh. uh, to get the best Gwent deck. They then, it was so successful, they released Gwent as a separate game and it's now mobile. So actually this week I've been, uh, I've been getting back into a bit of Gwent. Uh, it is still as addictive as it was uh, a while back. So this, that, that's, that was my question was, um, and that was something that I was curious about is, so when I was at school, um, you literally had a deck of Magic the Gathering cards that were, you know, you were basically held together by an elastic band so that they didn't just go you know fucking go everywhere in your school bag and that you would you know when you wanted to play you would occasionally play them i wasn't huge into it but i had a couple um uh and 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 could and would play it very very rarely but like so now do, do kids i mean I, I assume you just play against each other on your smartphones right uh, i actually know well i mean i'm i'm you know i'm like i'm feeling it in my 20s now but people who were who were so inclined for board games and who still like the cards back when they were younger uh, there are actually a load of people still play Magic the Gathering as you did uh, with the physical cards. They still say that that company what was it is it Hasbro that owns MTG now. 
yeah, uh, they sure. must make an enormous margin on those cards. It's ridiculous because they still sell the decks for huge amounts of money. Magic the Gathering was uh, always uh, an expensive game to play relative yeah. to some of the some of the other card games, and they're still churning out physical packs and you know, still get people immediate meet up. And but it's you know it's a, a funny community. Inter interestingly, Sam, uh, do you actually own any of those cards that you had when you were a kid? Because I imagine these days they would be worth a pretty penny. Don't know, man. But uh, they, there may be some in a in storage somewhere back in Australia. But um, I, I would hazard to guess probably my dad probably sold them in a fucking garage sale, which he tended to do with a lot of our shit. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> probably we we used, we moved house so many times when we were younger that um, and it's like every time we'd move, dad would do like a garage sale just to clear out shit that we so we didn't have to move it. <laughs> to the new place and right. uh I, I i i wouldn't be surprised if if all, a lot of that stuff went off in uh in a garage sale to some lucky punter <laughs> yeah yeah well man if you can find them out if you if you take a look in that storage when you uh, eventually return to uh, australia if if that ever does occur <laughs> if, if. hopefully hopefully uh do do see if you can find them because uh the amount of money that old magic the gathering cards can achieve in online sales is absurd. I mean, so, talk about core value. I mean, these things go for they're the original NFT. Yeah, yeah. Well, this this is this is something else that 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 I've, um, I'm curious about. Um, and we have talked about this in relation to NFTs. And actually, we could we probably should, I wouldn't mind doing another episode on NFTs um, in the future because there's some things that we I would like to combat and and and, and explain to people that that clearly a lot of people do not under fucking stand. Um, but I so I did get I did find last time I was in Australia I got my dad to send me over my my NBA cards got a lot, a lot of basketball cards and stuff and. Um, and my brother had his out as well. And anyway, we we ended up finding there's a Shaquille O'Neal rookie card um, in very, it's like mint condition. As soon as we got it, it was straight into the card protector. So it's as mint as mint can be fresh out the pack, um, which is worth it. It's worth about, it's worth about somewhere around, the, I think four to 500 US dollars now. Um, it wasn't like, you know, one of the high, high end rookie cards, but it was good enough that it's worth, you know, 500 bucks. Um well, and and I'm, for someone told me the other day that the '90s apparently are making a resurgence, um, which is great because I've got a whole heap of shit from the '90s, <laughs> which it's which, old which, enough to be retro now. Which is now retro, I know. Fuck. Um, but anyway, so my I think the thing is is that I I understand what NFTs are and I understand how they can be valuable and I understand that there's a much bigger picture to what's happening with NFTs than just you know JPEGs that. The, the very superficial understanding of a lot of people have. But at the same time, the idea of holding a physical, rare, collectible item in your hands, there's something I don't, I, I still don't think that will ever be displaced. I don't think a Banksy NFT is ever going to sell for what a, a real Banksy will. Do you know what I mean? And uh, that, well, yeah, well, actually, Karen, Karen, Karen. Well, I, I think that they're complementary to if we do, if we're talking just about collectibles and memorabilia, I think that they're complementary rather than than something that will replace the physical aspect of the collectibles and memorabilia and art community. I I would add a caveat to that that during periods, see the NFT market and the art market are completely separate. And NFT mania 
which, you know, there are big surges in NFTs, as we see, very cyclical. During periods of NFT mania, I think an NFT can of uh, of an artwork by say Ban- like I think Banksy's shit, but you know, yeah. say an NFT of Bank of Banksy's work could go higher as an NFT than in the real art market, where there are actually huge barriers to entry. Like they're not going to let you even purchase it if you don't really you know if you don't really fit in with them. And there's a lot of money that slot because NFTs make things much easier uh, if you're if you know what you're doing, uh, there's no barriers to entry. I think because there's a lot of money sloshing around there, I think you could see uh, an NFT of a Banksy, for example, go for higher than a, than a real one. Here's a question but, for you then. Is, is the, is, are, are art NFTs, is this a new period of art? So, you know, like art goes through periods, I don't know, you know, fucking Renaissance, postmodern, whatever uh is this is this what when we look back in history will this nft digital art will this be a its own defining period in art it's a good question i think the um i i think if it is then the art that's created for nfts will not be done by people by artists who have made their name in yeah. the, so we do, we've spoken about Damien Hirst doing exactly. his, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, like, you know, what was he even doing? I mean, it was just, uh, it was a just fucking shark in a tank. That is pretty cool, but it's not like you can own No, that. no, no, but his NFTs. So oh, he made right, yeah, yeah. 10,000 of these things. He probably hasn't even seen like half of them. Like, just mm. they're just automatically generated or whatever. Um, you know, I don't think if it is going to be a new era, then the artist will be native to the space. So they're right. probably people you haven't heard of yet. Yeah. Uh, or And they'll probably known as an alias rather than as their real name. Yeah, uh, anons. Yeah, there will be anons. Uh, or they will have, they'll have some kind of handle or whatever. And you see some really cool NFTs out there. Yeah, Fuck so, yeah, man. I own a few. Cool. Too many. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly, right? You want to buy what you, what you like. Yeah. I don't, I don't think... So, for example, I don't think Banksy is going to be... If there is... If this does create lead to a new art market and it we disrupt... You know, we have disrupted the existing uh, art market, which is very backward in a lot of ways. As I say, huge barriers to entry yeah. and, uh, you know, very uh, insular. You know, the, the very oh, yeah. fact that an art piece doesn't sell at auction, it just vanishes. That's actually not recognized, right? Uh, so the fact that there was no bid, there was no liquidity for a certain piece, the only way you can find that out is actually by looking at old catalogs of auctions and then seeing... Huh there and then what didn't sell because the auction houses will only publish what they did sell you know mm. this is incredibly backward right this is you know we, we talk about disrupting trad funds like the financial system man it's, it's no that's the thing this is even worse right <laughs> yeah. we, like crypto is about disrupting trad fight right this is about disrupting this is like art a, fight this is like an uh, well it's like it's trad art i mean this is like uh, <laughs> it's, not even trad. it's all contemporary hang on crap. i think you've i think you've just coined a phrase that has never been used before trad art well maybe yeah maybe uh, well hopefully hopefully because i think all hang the on, contemporary i've got to, I've got to put that into it i'm going to put that into this podcast description before i forget it trad <laughs> art the debut of trad art soon soon to grace the oxford english dictionary uh, yeah but, you know, I, th- I think, like, I, I have kind of no dog in the fight because I think contemporary art, the overwhelming majority of it is complete bilge. 
And so I would welcome it being disrupted by uh, the NFT creators. And some of them do create very cool things. The fact that you can create uh, it with NFTs, it can be animated images, uh, I think is, is very cool. Um, yeah, hopefully it is, Sam, because I think the art world definitely needs an enormous kick up its ass. And, uh, and for people with enormous egos in the contemporary art space to get wrecked by uh, the new generation. Whether or not it does, you know, we we are, we'll have to wait and understand. But it's a very good question, Sam. Yeah, I, think. I mean, because like I'm I'm thinking like let's say in in thirty years, well, maybe even more, like fifty years time, maybe even like after we, let's say a hundred years time, on Antiques Roadshow, are they just like wheeling out screens and 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 showing pictures of NFT art done by like the the you know the greats of the NFT period? You know yeah, yeah. I mean? someone just pulls out like a QR code and yeah. then the, the presenter scans it and then a hologram shows off of yeah. what the art piece was. Exactly. It's like, it, the, here's a hidden sketch of, uh, instead of like, right now you go and it's like, it's like, oh, I've just found this like sketch in like my attic. And it's like, you know, like, uh, I don't know what it is. And like, oh my God, it's it's a hidden sketch of a Rembrandt. I can't believe there's been an attic for 80 years. This is groundbreaking stuff. And like in a hundred years time, they're going to like reel out a screen. Somebody's going to be like, yeah, so I like found a wallet um, on my dad's hard drive and uh, it's got an NFT and it's like some monkey pixel thing. And they're like, holy <laughs> fuck, holy, you've, this is, Priceless. I can't believe it's been on a hard drive in an attic for this long. Yeah, yeah. I imagine like someone's got a wallet, like a locket, you know, so it's a piece of jewelry. So it's still, it's still old school antiques roadshow. They, they yeah. pull out the locket. Uh, and then, like uh, the the presenter scans it, it's no longer QR codes. It's probably some kind of tiny, it's probably some tiny sort of film on it that can be scanned with the new with the new. It's not even phones they're using anymore, but we can't imagine what it is. And then suddenly, you know, this beautiful artwork appears. Yeah. Uh, you know, you you can kind of imagine it. I think similar to what you're saying with cards, there's nothing that nothing is quite the same as having an actual oil painting on your wall, right? Um, but there is something new. People have discovered that they they can feel a huge amount of attachment and uh, apply a huge amount of value to something that is digital. So yeah. I don't think it's uh, similar to you know we're talking about gold and Bitcoin, right? Yeah, I don't yeah. think they're in competition with each other so yeah, much. Well, I agree with that. The the direction of the art, so the style of the art, the fashion yeah. could well be influenced by uh, the NFT community. The actual medium. I think well, they, they, I think they'll remain distinct because no, there's nothing you know. Yeah. I don't think uh, maybe the screens just aren't good enough now, but I I cannot imagine a screen being the same as having I, an actual painting where the like the paint is raised off the surface by the brush strokes. You know. Well, so see, I reckon I reckon that well, I think where NFT art is really going to come into its own is when we have the technology uh, that's very user friendly and offers a very seamless experience that combines with augmented reality. Like you can go for a walk around your neighborhood and you'd be able to like, you know, you might see just like, it might look like just like a concrete stone or something at the front of someone's house. But when you pull up your smartphone or something, you know, and just have a look at it through augmented reality, it's like this living flourishing piece of art by like a well-known digital artist or something like that. So that like, your entire surroundings can, you know, be, you know, in the, when you sort of look at them through the digital lens, um, take on a whole new meaning to, to what, you know, you just see normally. And I think that could apply in the home as well as that, you know, maybe we start to see, you know, depth of field 
um, screens instead of you know frames on the wall that that do yeah, yeah. may show may show some of this art from some of the great digital artists of our time who we don't even know yet who they are but you know be the you know in a, in a hundred years on antiques roadshow I can't believe you had this on a hard drive USB in the attic for a hundred years I was passed on through my granddad through my granddad through my granddad. He yeah, a yeah, yeah. And, you know. <laughs> actually, actually, it was a fake. This was actually a screenshot of a. Yeah, a imagine that's like, oh, I've got this original uh, <laughs> uh, uh, crypto punk uh, from 2017. Actually, sir, that is a cut and paste JPEG. That is yeah, a fake. I, you your great, great, great granddad just uh, just right clicked save as yeah. in order to and tried to flex on the creator by saying, "Yo, I've just stolen your piece of artwork. How do you feel now?" I believe the term, sir, that you would like to refer to now with your artwork is you have just been wrecked. Yeah, you got wrecked. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, imagine, uh, for example, like a lot of people are, um, I think with NFTs and digital artwork and stuff, uh, it's, so far it's all been very uh, self-obsessed. So people are creating profile picture uh, NFTs. That's the big thing. Everyone wants to create something which you can put on social media and then flex on everybody by saying, I have this nft and it you know fits your your uh, the little aperture where you can put your profile picture on facebook or twitter or whatever and so i wonder whether or not you know it, it, you know in the future where people are getting like chipped and whatever you know so <laughs> bodies you know when you get killed you know, like someone gets murdered or hit by a uh, some autonomous vehicle and they're left by the roadside you know the the cop goes to scan them you know they like scan their neck or whatever and suddenly like this nft picture that they've decided is there is their avatar just pops up as all oh, right so this guy this guy called his, his name was boaz shoshan but he called himself you know xyz and, the, and he, he had this image of you know whatever as his as his avatar i wonder if we uh, but we are thinking very far ahead in the future and as i say you know it is quite different there's nothing quite like the real thing um and i think attempts to make nfts in the real world are kind of missing the point that the internet is so important to people that the internet has its own uh, value system so that you know everybody is moaning about uh, crypto becoming a big thing saying well it doesn't do anything in reality doesn't seem to appreciate that so much the the val so much value now in society is on the internet the yeah. you know the fact that google and facebook uh, and netflix you know all they had they've managed to accrue all this value is from our our digital lives our internet lives and you know, they, that's where the value has gone. Why is it so hard to conceive that inside that environment, there are assets that have value that cannot be replicated in the real world? I think some people miss that. But Sam, we are getting on for time a little we bit. Are. What will be your rating for your second beer? Uh, that was very, very nice. <laughs> I will say, I was a bit worried at an eight, eight, eight point two. Okay, it's 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 doing its go. job at an eight point five percent ABV. That uh, it might be a bit too potent and too strong as double IPA. It um it, it it just it went down very easily. Um, it certainly did have the citrusy and and sort of tropical f flavor to it. So I've had you know sort of two uh tropical beers back to back. The first one you know a bit lighter, but that one was a, you know had a real punch to it. But scarily easy to drink um and um i've 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 i've, I've come in the money today because that was that was just as good i wouldn't say it's better and i definitely wouldn't say it's worse so for me that's um that's a that's a double b that that was a really really good uh beer the 
Malafemina double IPA. Yeah, that's a that's an absolute winner, that too. Episode 63, a very strong episode for Sam Volkering here. Uh, sadly, mine's been you know mostly mostly uh, you know average, I guess. Uh, the Sea Fury uh, Special Ale with all the S's. Sea Fury Special Ale, substantial and satisfying, five percent ABV by Sharps. Uh, yeah, it's okay. Uh, it's better than the last beer, so uh, hmm, I would give it a. I'll give it an A plus, an A plus. Uh, but nothing, yeah, nothing to write home about. Sadly, hopefully next week can get some better beers in. Any closing remarks for episode sixty three, Sam? Uh, hopefully I can get some sleep tonight. Yeah, well, everyone listening wishes you a good sleep tonight, Sam. We do need you on top form for episode yeah. 64 next week. Uh, yeah, that, that concludes episode 63, folks. I hope you are going to have a very good weekend this uh, in the coming days, or if you're listening later, I hope you're having a very good time. Be sure to crack open a beer. Uh, something hopefully more local, uh, support your local breweries, etc. I am just about to head out uh, into Chester and try out some of the pubs here. It's uh, there are a huge amount, huge density of pubs here, so there's plenty to sample. Uh, but that's all from us for the moment. Hope you enjoyed episode 63, and we'll see you next time.